welcome to episode 64 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and in this episode, we're going to focus on a rare disorder known as Cridusha. It's a chromosomal deletion disorder that results in a wide spectrum of intellectual and developmental abilities. Each year in the United States, approximately 50 to 60 children are born with Cridusha syndrome. These individuals are likely going to need a lifetime of support. Like most people, I knew absolutely nothing about Cridusha until I was contacted by our guest for this episode, Leah Moore. She has a daughter named Jordan who is now seven years old and has Cridusha. Leah writes a blog about her experiences as a parent of a child with Cridusha, and it's a fascinating look, not only just into her life, but the blog can also really resonate with all parents of special needs kids. So I asked Leah to join us for an interview to talk about her experiences and her family. We started off with Leah talking about her background as a high school English teacher in New York City. Yes, I have been teaching for about 14 years. Um, I started in Manhattan and then moved to Westchester when my daughter was born. And I teach um, secondary theater and English. Ah, okay. Um, so let's talk about your daughter, Jordan, and has a rare diagnosis of Cridushat. Can you tell us, or am I pronouncing that correctly, yeah, first of all? it's actually pronounced Cridushat. It's Cridusha. French. Okay, French, yes. so no T. Okay. Yes. Um, can you explain to us what that is and how it affects her? Sure, yeah. It's, so it's also called 5P-, minus um, because it refers to the deletion of the fifth chromosome, hmm. and it's a spectrum disorder, so... So individuals who have it might range in their prognosis and their diagnosis, but it's usually characterized with the delayed development, um, intellectual disabilities, mm -hmm. and most of the individuals have hypotonia, very weak muscle tone, uh, microcephaly, very small head size, and distinctive facial features. Mm. So they would typically struggle with language um, and very typically characterized as very happy and outgoing individuals who love social interaction. Mm -hmm. So Jordan was diagnosed at 18 months, months, and we were told we should prepare ourselves for her never walking or talking. Oh, boy. Yeah. Wow. Um, yes. So we... She's now seven, and she does both with with style and pizzazz, <laughs> and it's incredible. It's just been an incredible, difficult, and rewarding, and amazing journey. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's amazing, and I love the irony of some of your blog articles that you grew up loving words and wanting to express yourself in virtually every second of your waking hours. But how did you uh, now that you have a child who has a disorder that makes communication difficult? How did you cope with that sense of frustration and shock that you must have felt when you first got the diagnosis? Yeah, it really sort of hit the core of how I thought the world should communicate, or how I had learned to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and I first. With the initial diagnosis, when she was such a baby, I was still just learning how to be a parent and sleep in addition to all of this information. And I really relied on my support system and learned how to, what I call, sort of fill my world. So I found the best doctors. I asked questions. I cried. I binge-watched a lot of television. <laughs> right. And I, I learned who I could support. Um, and who didn't really need anything from me at that moment. They they just, this amazing group of people that just said, we're here for you emotionally, intellectually, uh, medically, whatever it is we needed. 
Um, I also was sent, I have a feeling many special needs parents are the Welcome to Holland poem mm. by Emily Kingsley, who I've just recently had the honor to get to know. She lives nearby. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the poem, but the idea that what you expect is going to happen is very different than what actually happens and how it takes some time and you can get on board with that and ultimately learned how to communicate, how to sign, and how, how it was okay to say when I wasn't okay and to help everyone in my family to learn to do the same. Wow. No, I'm actually not familiar with that poem at all. I think, uh, is, is it available online? I could put that up on the website. It is. You can just Google Welcome to Holland. Okay. And it is a stunning metaphor. She published it in the, in the late 80s. Hmm. Um, she has a son with Down syndrome, and she actually worked for Sesame Street and put him on Sesame, Sesame Street. Oh, no kidding. And it's, she's an incredible woman. Um and an advocate, and the poem is this beautiful metaphor. You think you're going to end up in Italy, and you end up in Holland. And Holland is just as lovely, but it's not where you initially thought you would be. Right. So I highly recommend it for oh, all great. your listeners. All right, definitely. I'll have to look for that. Yeah. yeah, no, and then getting back to what you said before that, too, the fact that, you know, when a crisis like this occurs, whether you want to call it a crisis or not, but when sure. uh, things go wrong, you quickly find out who you can actually count on yes. and who you cannot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And I was very lucky to know that the support system I had was really intact, and, and they they were there, whether they lived across the country or... They were my neighbors, and everyone was just learning. Jordan's diagnosis is so rare um, that we just had to learn where we fit in and, and how we connect. And, you know, it's not perfect, but we are definitely in a better place than we were Right. Seven years ago. Well, that's great, great. And, you know, going with how rare the diagnosis is, was it difficult to find the right kinds of therapies for her? So we were very lucky to live in Westchester County, which provides tremendous resources, initially through early intervention and then through our school district. But we we joined an organization um, through the 5P- organization and learned that a lot of families were receiving two to three hours a week, where Jordan was up to 30-plus hours a week. Wow. She was in a full-time job at a, as a two-year-old, OT, PT, speech, uh, ABA therapy, play therapy, family training, dog therapy, feeding therapy, and we just pushed and encouraged her, and we were, we were just so thirsty to learn and take in what we could take in, and our house was a revolving door of these therapists. Mm -hmm. And I really equate everything that she is capable of and can do because someone sat and directly taught it to her. Wow. And it is remarkable. So we did learn how and when to fight. We still are, but we were fortunate to uh, to to have those services because of where we live. Right. Well, I was going to ask how much work does it take every day for her to make the gains she's had, but I think you've answered that a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It is. It is a full-time job, and in addition to the full-time job my husband and I have, we come home to make sure her needs are met and managed, and there's a visual board of what she's going to do every day. And when we set her up for success, the days are successful. Right. Right. Now, is she, um, I, I uh, want to ask, is she in kindergarten now, or is she in a, a different kind of setting? Yes. Yeah, so she's actually in first grade. and. Oh, okay. Developmentally, 
Well, age-wise, she should be in second grade, but mm-hmm. we've kept her in first grade again because the right. school is a K-1 program, and mm-hmm. she's in a self-contained class with uh, one teacher and three aides and eight other students. Oh, okay. So she does go to our neighborhood school, and we're working on integrating her more into the everyday, and the school is very supportive to have her. She just... I think received an award in front of the entire school and bowed and clapped and came home just glowing about it. So she really is uh, learning to become a part of the larger community. So Mm -hmm. she is in the neighborhood school. That's great. That's great. Now you also have twin boys, younger brothers. Yeah. uh, (laughs) And your stories of balancing each child's life, not just figuratively, but literally really capture all the ups and downs of parenthood. What sort of responses do you get from your readers about that? Yes. So the, People who are in this season of life with me uh, echo the chaos that they also feel a lot of, I've been there too. I feel like we're all sitting around with, you know, like peanut butter in our hair and just trying to hide in the bathroom for a (laughs) moment of solace. Um, But I, I hear a lot of thank you for putting in words that it's okay to drown sometimes and that we're doing it together. I try to capture it with a sense of humor. So I hear a lot of people echo that, here's this story that happened to me, and it's just creating this lovely, empathetic world where we can all share. And I, I do have some readers who don't have children or who have older children, and they always say, your hands must be very full, and remind me it's just a temporary season, and perhaps we will have less chaos, but it is uh, it is a unifying source of <laughs> of just craziness at mm. this moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, as a parent of a couple of teenagers, I can tell you, yeah, it, uh, they learn better ways to express themselves, sometimes the way you don't want them to express themselves, but things still <laughs> remain confusing and challenging. Okay. <laughs> so, sorry, but... <laughs> well, at least parenthood, right? Yeah, yeah. At least they're better at telling you. Yes. And boy, yes. do they tell you. Exactly. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Well, as as writers or bloggers or even podcasters, we, we try to capture the essence of what's going on at any given time. Can you give us some examples of some stories that you're particularly proud of how they turned out? Sure. Um, yeah, I'd say I have three that I feel really proud of. They're all very different. Um, the first one I ever wrote was called The Irony of Language, mm-hmm. and that's the one you were referring to, this, this irony that I love words. Um, And I actually wrote that first just to model an essay assignment for my students, a personal narrative, and it just poured out of me. And I've since shared it with my students, and it felt like it was what I needed to say. It was the first thing I actually sat down and wrote, and it sparked this desire to want to write and start a blog. Um, I'm working on a book just to get these stories out. And my most popular story is Uh, called Yes, My Hands Are Full, about an attempt to go to the grocery store without a stroller for the first time, and it's pure chaos, and the uh, kindness of a random stranger, and it came out of me, I think, in less than 15 minutes, and it, it just, again, these stories I think I hold on to, and just to find this outlet to pour out, and then my hardest one... Uh, it's called Welcome to the World, Baby Girl. And I wrote it on her fifth birthday about her first birthday mm. where everyone was downstairs 
and she hadn't had a diagnosis yet, and I was upstairs crying in my closet and could not bring myself to come down. And even reflecting on that later and knowing I now have this child who does do all the things they said she couldn't do, just I cried while writing it. And um, that one was on the website Scary Mommy and has resonated with a lot of people that I think feel the same, that there's a fear and a guilt and all of the emotions that come with it. So I, I feel really proud of that one as well. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's it's funny because, um, you know, when you're faced with a diagnosis, when they're that young, uh, thinking about the future can be really difficult. But, you know, we often find our kids are surprising us with their own agendas. What is Jordan? Uh, how is Jordan's life or how she's gone through? Has that, how has that changed your own ideas of what her future might become? Yeah, that this is a really hard question for me because I think kind of like like I was referencing that Welcome to Holland poem, we have this vision, whether it's college or marriage or independent living, I truthfully have no idea. And what I first thought was, is so different than what I think now. And, you know, I, I sort of have this fantasy of living in a quaint town and we run a bed and breakfast and she's just so happy and meeting people and I mean, I can't cook and don't clean well, so it would be a terrible <laughs> job. But just the idea of being together and, and creating a space where I know she's in it, I, I do feel like is part of our um, our journey. And I, I think having smaller siblings and knowing that she's a part of this larger community brings me a lot of comfort that that it's not, not all on just me and my husband to stay healthy and live till we're 150. Um, but I'm, I've learned to take it in really small steps. So it was a goal that she could walk. Now she walks. And it's a goal that she could read. And now she has sight words. And maybe next is writing. And that the idea of future has just become a little bit shorter. And we take it all a little bit more simplicity and recognizing how amazing some of those smaller moments are, which I think I would have taken for granted before. And right. I'm really grateful for that realization. Right. And, you know, it's funny, too, uh, um, you know, as parents, you know, we try to envision what kind of a future our kids are going to have. But by the same token, even if you have a parent, even if you have, I mean, a child who uh, is neurotypical and is everything sure. spot on, you still have absolutely no idea what they're going to no do. No idea. Yeah. You know, I spend my days with 14 year olds and their parents call me and say they're not going in the direction I thought they were going in. So that's right. And and to give us all permission to let them be their own people and find their own strengths and enjoyment is is a nice reminder. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of your blog posts talks about the single story, which is based on a TED talk by a Nigerian author who, unfortunately, her name I cannot pronounce. Yes, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Thank you. Yes, Chimamanda. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, yes. it, it was a great, great uh, speech. I watched the link that you posted. Can you tell our listeners yeah. about that talk and the lesson that you give to your students uh, after watching it? Absolutely. I highly recommend her her TED Talks. Um, her novels, and she has this quote, which I can share with you, that she says, many stories matter, that stories have been used to dispossess and to malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize, and stories can break the dignity of a people, but stories can also repair that broken dignity. Mm -hmm. And I directly teach this to my students as a foundation for the course about all the ways that we as society perpetuate and interrupt all these unwritten rules that exist in society because of the stories 
that people are telling and sharing. And she speaks so eloquently that stories are continued by those in power. And I ask students to think about the single stories or these stereotypes or assumptions that have been layered upon them, as well as the ones that they might accidentally or unknowingly perpetuate or continue. And most recently, we applied this to the concept of ableism, or reading of mice and men, and we, we explore the stereotypes that are perpetuated in society of individuals with disabilities, that it always has to be sad, that they can't completely fit into everyday life, that, that historically they were this single story of the bad guy or made fun of, and that there's so many incredible texts and practitioners and advocates breaking through all of those single stories and helping provide the sense of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love I love Chimamanda Adichie. I think she, the words she speaks are just the foundation for what can make the world kinder. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because um, when you talk about uh, special needs kids and how they were always viewed and still are to a certain extent uh, Mm -hmm. in one way. And with assistive technology and all these breakthroughs coming through now, people who weren't able to speak before are suddenly being uh, able to communicate and letting people know that, hey, we we can understand what you're saying. That's right. And we do know what's going on. Right. We we have something to say is so incredible. Yeah, it just makes a, a big difference. Um, yeah. I, I really want to, I'm going to post that uh, video online and I, I want to share it elsewhere too. And I really hope that uh, a lot of people watch this because I think it's an extraordinary. Uh, I do too. She's so eloquent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for people who are not parents of special needs children, what do you find is the one misconception that you wish they would understand? I think it connects to what we were just talking about, that my life is not sad. I think there's there's pity. I get a lot of I'm sorry's. Um, I get a lot of like kind smiles, and I I don't think people mean anything by them. But we're in a grocery store. She's having a hard moment. It's difficult to understand her. You know, if we were signing, there are these knowing glances that other parents of special needs children I think would also recognize, and I I would sort of like to shout from the mountaintops that my house is filled with joy and that, yes, we have challenges, but I don't know a family that doesn't, and that a lot of special needs parents are trying to make it look effortless, that we show up at the birthday party like it's nothing, but there were hours and hours of work that went into even being able to achieve that small thing. So just to recognize that there's this constant battle that we are fighting for a sense of normalcy, whatever that now means for the home. Um, and also that, um, I think also like, come on over and say hi. Like you can invite your child to come and ask questions about the braces Mm -hmm. on, on her legs or why she's using her hands to communicate. And it's, and we welcome that, like come on over and, and create this community and, and friendship and, um, there's nothing, there's nothing you can say that would be offensive. Just, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. open up the doors. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, I, um, I work at a grocery store <laughs> full time, uh, you know, and, uh, the podcast doesn't quite pay for itself. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> 
I see it all the time, too. There's lots of kids who have breakdowns and they don't have any special That's needs right. or they're what we would consider neurotypical. And it just happens. It's part of childhood. And just That's because right. a child has special needs and is having a problem doesn't mean that there's, you know, something, you know, horribly worse about this or anything like that. Right. Or the parents not doing their job. Just, I mean, if it was a socially acceptable, I would also lie on the floor of the grocery store and have a temper tantrum. Well, yeah. Right. You know. Some grocery stores get really loud and really yes. obnoxious. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. oh, well. But anyway, <laughs> it's all part of the fun, I guess, you know. Yes. But, uh, okay, well then, and for parents of special needs kids, uh, what would you want them to know that sometimes might get overlooked? I think it's the more cheesy, but, you know, I see you. We're all doing the best we can. And I think that within the special needs community, we know that those parents know their child the best, that they're their advocate, that there's that voice in their gut saying, this isn't okay with me, and to have the confidence to speak up because you know you're a part of this much larger village and that, that you're not alone and also you really deserve a nap, probably. Um, but I, I think it's we have to also remember to take care of ourselves, and that's maybe arguably one of the hardest parts because you just give yourself over to your child and that we are all fighting for this balance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's easy to get overwhelmed. Yes, it is so easy. Mm. Most days are, are overwhelming unless we fight to make them not. And right. I, I'm not successful every day. I'd love to talk to someone who's nailed to that, but I, you know, trying. I've been doing this podcast for five years and... Uh, <laughs> I have yet to meet uh, no that person, yet. but uh, I'm sure someone out there somewhere exists. That Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My thanks again to Leah Moore for agreeing to be on our podcast. You can find links to her blog, Loving You Big, on the page for this episode at specialparentsconfidential.com. I also have a link to the 5P Syndrome website and the link to the TED Talk by Chiamana Negozia Dice on the dangers of a single story. There's also a link to the poem Welcome to Holland by Emily Kingsley. A great way to connect with us at Special Parents Confidential is to like our Facebook page. You can comment on all of our episodes there and even correspond with me. There's a link to Special Parents Confidential on Facebook, on our website, as well as our other social media pages. And please help spread the word about us by sharing Special Parents Confidential with all your favorite social media posts. That's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>